Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Berard LLC and Urban Book Editor. And I'm really happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, you guys who've been listening for a while know that I love to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guests on the April 24th show, education consultant, Joy Simuel. You can connect with Joy on social media and at her website, simuelconsulting.com. That's S-I-M-U-E-L consulting.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the April 24th show at the Somewhere in the Middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, and I hope you guys will share it with the youth. But it's not just for the youth. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Geniuses Common Movement at www.geniusescommon.com. Now, I'm really pleased and honored to introduce this week's guest. Alan Black grew up in the United Methodist Church. While he proudly embraces his background and personal history within the United Methodist Church, he does not feel that denomination is important. What matters most is the relationship that you have with the Lord. Through the years, if Alan were to describe his relationship with the Lord using one word, it would be transformation, marked by daily growth in his walk with the Lord, and as well continuing to display the fruits of his spirit. For these times, his attitude and belief are that the world is looking to Christians to see if, in fact, their talk does indeed match their walk. Like all of us, Alan has experienced twists and turns along the road of life. But each step along that road has led him to this point in life to humbly say that he is an author. But being able to say that he is a Christian author is the most important thing of all to him. To everything, there is a time and season. Though Alan was unsure of what was in store for him, he sought to be obedient and to trust in the Lord. Alan is now able to show others that God will qualify you and lead you to accomplish what his charge is for you, if you can be a willing servant. So I'd like to welcome Alan Black to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Hey, Alan, how are you? I'm doing fine, Michelle. How are you doing this beautiful evening? Very fine, very fine, and really happy to have you on the show. Well, Thank you, you again. Know, Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad to have you, and um, we tried this a couple of times. This is, this is the third time's a charm, so I'm really excited to have you, and um, you know already that I start my interviews by asking two questions, and if you're ready, I will ask those. Let's, let's have some fun. All right. So, Alan Black, who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Boy, you sure start out with a bang-up question, that's for sure. The 
Alan Black's journey, I think, really began as a writer. Probably in high school, I did some writing there. I suppose, like most teenagers at that time, I didn't really take it serious. I can remember, Michelle, in my senior year, I had written an essay kind of in in the same vein as the question you were asking, turning into my English teacher. And the teachers thought it was pretty good, and she mentioned that, well, you need to be more expressive and more open about who you are and how you got to the point of being 17 at that time. And I thought, well, that sounds nice, but I just figured she was just saying something to be saying something. Didn't really pay a lot of attention at that time. And then went on to undergrad school. And I think the real journey to becoming a writer at this point in my life began probably in 1975. I have a very strong music background. I grew up in the 60s with the Motown era, the James Browns, the Aretha Franklin's people like that. So my interest in music really was geared towards the lyrical side of what each song was saying. So that kind of led me to the point in 1975 when I was in college where I really began to dream about what it would be like to be a lyricist on a song project. And I wasn't quite sure if I had what it took to really pursue that. I'll never forget, Michelle, I went to see one of my professors after I had kind of written my first set of lyrics for a song. And I was scared to death because I thought he was just going to just chop me down and tell me to forget about it. But he was very encouraging, and he told me that if it was something I really wanted to pursue, he would reach out to a friend of his who was in the industry back in Pennsylvania, and he gave me the gentleman's address. I'll never forget his name. It was Melvin Steele, if I remember correctly. And I wrote Mr. Steele, this was probably in the fall of 75, explained to him what my dream was, and he wrote me back, shared me with, with me some information about what it took to be a part of the music industry. And from there, it just really kind of took off throughout the rest of my college years until I graduated from college in 77. And for those that people are counting, yeah, that was a long time ago, a long time ago. But nonetheless, I continued to write as a lyricist, and then probably during the mid-'80s, I began to get involved locally with some artists in terms of doing some management, some marketing, and then as well I began to blend in my contribution as a lyricist for different projects. This basically in the 80s was more so on the gospel side. And then okay. probably in the 90s, I started to branch out a little bit more from gospel into some R&B music like that. Then up through the early 2000s, I really began to expand the writing lyrically where I began to write on projects for hip-hop and gospel, R&B, different genres like that. And so I've always continued to do that. But it's amazing in terms of what we have as a goal and objective, and we all have them. And sometimes what happens is the direction that you're headed in leads you into a whole different arena. So probably if we just kind of skip ahead in time up to around 2015 or so, 
I was continuing to write lyrically in terms of being a contributing songwriter. But what began to happen at that time was, and this was after I retired from my position at my local university, I was semi-retired and I'm still semi-retired, and I began to just kind of take a little part-time job in the mornings just to kind of keep me busy. Well, my part-time job in the mornings from like 6 to about 12, so between 6 in the morning and 8, it's really kind of boring. I didn't really have anything to do. So I never was that guy who would just go online or play games on my phone or anything like that. So I just began to just kind of write, I guess, in a freestyle manner. And what began to happen was I began to write Christian essays, which really was a complete departure from what my background had been as a lyrical writer for songs. I have a very strong background in terms of my Christian walk. And now as I'm kind of looking back, I'm beginning to see how all of this is kind of coming together. So in 2015, I started writing these short Christian essays. I'll never forget after I'd written the third one, it kind of scared me because, Michelle, I'd never written in this capacity before. This was a whole new venture for me. And I didn't really know what was going on. I remember asking a friend of mine who was a pastor what exactly was going on because I'd never written in this vein in terms of what I guess you would call Christian inspirational essays. They're usually about two or three pages long, not very long. And he explained to me that what was happening is if I was willing to be open to what God was calling me to do, that he would lead me in the direction that he wants me to go, i.e., writing these Christian Christian essays, it was still kind of scary because I thought, well, okay, this is all well and good, but I'm not really sure what this means. So at my part-time job, and this was probably toward the end of 2015, one of my coworkers who was actually a former student of mine that I was a mentor for, I let her read some of my essays, and she said, well, these are really great, Alan. I like these, so why don't you write for a blog? And Michelle, I kind of looked there and I thought, well, blogs are for people who are writers. That's what they do. I'll never forget she looked at me and she said, well, what do you call this? Uh-huh. I didn't have a response. And so she said, well, you always taught me to pursue my dream and to never back away from a challenge, so why aren't you doing the same? I didn't particularly oh, appreciate wow. the comment because <laughs> – here was coming from the person I was a mentor to, and now she's flipping it around on me. And I thought, you know, number one, I don't appreciate you pushing this back in my face because I'm the mentor and you're the mentee. But at the same time, I had to get over my ego. I had to say, you know, she's right. I do have to pursue this and see what's going to happen. So probably around November of 2015, I wound up reaching out to some Christian blogs throughout the Internet. And I sent out a couple of essays just to see if I could get somebody interested in me writing for them. I got pretty much all those until the very last one that I sent, which was early December 2015. And I sent this to a Christian website called Christian Blessings over in Singapore. Uh-huh. And to my other surprise, she, the editor wrote me back and said she really likes it and said, well, why don't you start writing for me every week starting in 2016? I was like, wait a minute, hold on, we got to slow this thing down because, hey, I, I've never done this before, so you're asking me to write 
52 times a year, I'm thinking, no, I can't do that. How about once a month? And I said, I can do once a month. She said, okay, let's do that. And then she told me, okay, your first essay in January 2016, I want it to be something to kind of introduce a new year and what a new year means to everybody and how possibly they might change. And she said it had to be at least 300 words. Now, Michelle, I thought at that time 300 words might as well have been 10,000 because <laughs> I, I just said I can't do 300 words. And you know what I'm, I'm getting across to you listeners is the fact that it's easy for us, and we're all guilty of this, at least I believe, we're all guilty of putting roadblocks in front of us and then we'll say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. But at the same time, even though we do that, I think it's important that we're mindful that the roadblock is there, but you have two choices. You can stop or you can say, you know what, I'm going to just go right through it and see what happens. So when she gave me that challenge, I thought, okay, 300 words is a lot of words, and she wants it to be something about the beginning of a new year, 2016, and probably for two weeks, I was racking my brains trying to figure out, what am I going to write about? And then right around Christmas, I heard them playing that song, uh, Old Lang Syne. And part of it talks about old acquaintances. And that just kept going over and over in my mind. So that was actually the fir- very first essay I wrote for Christian Blessings in 2016 called Old Acquaintances. And the genesis, the focus of that particular essay is about the fact that as we go into each new year, just as we did on January 1st of 2020, what are some of the old acquaintances that we want to say rid ourselves of? Is it, say, our lack of commitment to maybe exercise? <clears throat> or is it, say, our desire to get away from a habit that we know that's not good for us? Or is it something that we know we need to be better at doing, but we've just been hesitant about doing it? So I wrote about in that capacity that each of us at the beginning of a new year has some type of old acquaintance that we need to say goodbye to. And how are we going to do that? How committed are we going to be to actually make that old acquaintance say, old anxiety, you've got to go, just kind of paraphrasing. So I did that throughout all of 2016, and then probably around December of 2016, this same student that I had told me, well, now why don't you write a book? And she said, there's no reason you can't write a book if you've written all these essays up to this point. So I said, okay, I really can't come up with a reason why I can't. So why not at least try? And I kind of realized at that point, Michelle, that I had to at least try, if nothing else, so that she would stop nagging me about writing this book. And I'm going to be honest, that was really part of, that was part of the motivation for me to do that so that she would just stop nagging me. So I went into 2017. By this time, I had completed about 35 of these essays. And I'm just going to backtrack for a minute. I can honestly say to you and to everybody listening, I'm not that deep. I consider myself to be a very average person. But what's happened with each of these essays I've written for, not just the first book, but the second book is, I've just been a willing vessel 
because as I've written each essay, which I hope is inspirational, speaks to people, I can honestly say that after I would finish each one, I would go back 10 minutes later, Michelle, <clears throat> and I couldn't remember what I'd written. And that's been the case for both books. And so I know that was the Holy Spirit speaking through me and at times speaking even in spite of me. So that's right. how I got to the point of the 35 essays for the first book. I then went into winter 2017. I said, well, I'll put them in a book and let's see what happens. I had no idea how to format a book. I didn't know what a cover was supposed to be. But we're talking about somebody who's completely out of his element. And it's interesting because sometimes, a lot of times I think, God will place a challenge on you or take you into an area that you really have no idea what you're doing. And at that point, it becomes purely and simply a walk of faith. Because for me, this is a walk of faith in terms of now going into 2017, excuse me, and saying, well, I want to do a book, but I don't know how to do it. And fortunately, around January of 2017, I had joined Fiverr. And for you listening, Fiverr is a great community because there's just really a cross-section of individuals who can do things like editing, photography, all kinds of different talents from all over the world. So I wound up probably in February of 2017, after having joined Fiverr, I put out a request through the community. I said, well, I'm trying to be a first-time Christian author. I need somebody who can, like, format it, edit my material, and try to get it ready to go on Amazon. And I'll never forget, Michelle, it was a Friday night in February. I think it was the first Friday night of 2017. So I sent out this request, and I thought, okay, I put the request out there, God. So hopefully in about eight or nine months, I'll hear back from somebody, and they'll be willing to work with me, and then maybe I can get the book out in 2018. And, again, that's me thinking about what the plan is. But, again, our plans don't necessarily mesh with what God has in store for us. I've learned that through this process. Because that next day was a Saturday. I got up like most of us, ran errands, had a lot of different things I had to do, got back home that afternoon. I said, well, let me check my Fiverr account just in case somebody may have responded. To my absolute shock, Michelle, I had 35 people that reached back to me and said, hey, I want to work with you. Now, that really scared me. I'm thinking, I don't even know these people. They're from all (laughs) over the world. I don't know what I'm doing. And so then I spent two weeks kind of just going through each one, kind of reading the qualifications and kind of getting a feel for who I thought I might work with. Wound up working with a young lady who was in South Africa, and we wound up exchanging information through our contact through email, through Fiverr. And a large part of me is just amazed about this because I'm thinking, here I am in the middle of the United States. This dynamic lady is in South Africa. We'll never meet, but we're doing all of this through the process of technology. Mm-hmm. And since I'm old, I'm just going to go and say it. I come from the era of, okay, you need to make a phone call. If you didn't have a phone, you went down to the corner, you used a pay phone. <laughs> well, I'm serious. 
or I come from the era when I was playing my music. It was on 45s, and then we really got progressive, and we had 8-track tapes, okay? So you see where I'm going here. So yeah, yeah. to bring all that back forward to think that now I'm doing all of this through correspondence, through the Internet technology to create a book, it was mind-blowing. It really was. And so when we got finished and the first book, Here I Am, Lord, came out on Amazon in May of 2017, I remember when I saw my first book on my Amazon page, I just sat and stared at it for about 10 minutes. And I stared at it, Michelle, because more than anything, I was just in a state of shock, like, wow, God, this really happened. I can't believe it. And not that I was bragging or top of my chest or anything, it was really more just a sense of awe and appreciation for how far God had brought me in terms of just getting to the point where I released one book, which was, I'm still at the point where I'm kind of in a state of disbelief that this really happened because I never envisioned myself doing this. Mm -hmm. And then just to show you how naive I was because I'm old, and the summer of 2017, well, my friends started calling after I told them I had a book out, and they said, well, wow, Alan, that's really cool, man. I always knew you could do that. And so I want to get my book signed at your book signing and everything, so let me know when that's going to be. And, Michelle, I remember after they were telling me that, I thought to myself, why am I going to do a book signing? I mean, that's for people who write books and who are authors. So I kind of decided, well, I wasn't going to do a book sign because I just didn't see the point. And I mentioned that to my sister. That was a bad mistake. Bad mistake. Well, yeah, of course. Now, I'm going to stop you here. I want to stop you here because you've really said a lot of things that I think we need to unpack for the audience. And and so I really – so first I want to to get to the first thing that really struck me that you said. You talked about this young lady – who is a former student of yours, who you were essentially mentoring her at one point, flipping the script on you. Yes. And you finding your mentor-mentee relationship flipped upside down to push you to another level. Exactly. What does that mean? What does that feel like? How long did it take you to embrace that? Was that something that initially it was really, really hard for you? And you were like, nah, I'm not listening to this little young millennial or whatever. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if she's a millennial. But, you know, I'm not listening to her. I'm going to go about it. Was it days, weeks, months? Did you, get a, did you basically hear Spirit saying to you, nah, man, you need to listen to her? How did that move forward? That moved forward probably within a day or two. Because okay. I stopped. So you were obedient. I stopped. Oh, I was obedient, and I'm not going to sit there and tell you I've always been that way. I've always been as hard-headed as anybody I can think of. <laughs> but at this point, that point in my life, at least my stubbornness was beginning to soften, and I was willing to at least listen and be open. And in her situation, I had been her mentor for probably four or five years, and even after she graduated. She would reach out to me, ask for different questions in terms of her professional career. 
So we had always kind of stayed in contact, and she was really one of my favorite students. And one thing I learned when I was working at the university, I learned that, yes, I'm going to direct and mentor a lot of students in my career, which I did. But I was always open to the fact that they were going to teach me some things that I needed to know, and I had to be willing to listen. Foremost was the fact that at that time, this was up through the early 2000s until about 2011 when I retired, there were things about technology that I was just so far behind on that I was just a dinosaur. So I just kind of reached the point in my life, Michelle, where I said, well, you know what? I can let my ego get in the way, or I'm just going to keep it real. I can be hard-headed like so many men are and just think I know it all and just wind up missing out on what it is I need to know. So I learned at that point when I was retiring, put your ego aside. If you're teaching others, you have to be teachable. If you're willing to give out advice, you have to be willing to receive it. So when my student was telling me this, and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, you know, she's right. I don't particularly like hearing it. But then after I thought about it for a day, I said, you know, I really can't come up with a valid response. And, you know, she might be right because if I'm teaching students to do that, what does it say about me if I'm not willing to follow my own advice? I mean, my mother always taught me, you've got to practice what you preach. You've got to put it into effort. So at that point when she told me that the first time, I said, okay. I thought about it for a day. I said, I'll do this. And then the second time when she said, well, now you need to write a book, I thought, well, she was right the first time. (laughs) I might as well follow that advice the second time. I don't really have anything to lose. So I've learned to become obedient. I've learned to put your ego aside because you can get all puffed up on yourself and then in doing so, what have you missed out on? A lot of times right. you missed out on a lot of things because your ego got in the way and self got in the way. And self can be a very difficult thing to deal with, and it can get out of control if you let it. All right. So, so the first thing that I heard you say was about that mentor-mentee relationship, and that was really important. But you also mentioned being a willing vessel. What did you mean exactly by that? Go ahead and dig into that a little bit for me. Being a willing vessel was really the core of what my writing career is now as a Christian author. Because after about the third or fourth essay, after I talked to my pastor friend, and he encouraged me to just be open to what God's calling you to do. Michelle, I had to stop and think, and I I began to say, you know, if I'm doing this, there must be a reason for this. Mm -hmm. And I was smart enough to realize that, okay, this isn't all coming for me because content and the style of writing was nothing I was used to doing. So I said, well, let me just be open and be a willing vessel 
and just see where this is going to lead. Being a willing vessel for me was about, again, putting self out of the way and saying, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Let's do this. But at the same time, I'm going to be honest, it also meant, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Let's do this. But let's not go too fast here, okay, because I don't want to get totally <laughs> I'm honest enough to say that, yes, I was willing. I'm going to jump in the water, but let's not get in the deep end of the pool yet. Let's just let me get my feet wet in a little bit at a time. At least that's my approach. And so Mm -hmm. that's what it means to me to be a willing vessel is it's a gradual process. At least it has been for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but it's a little bit at a time and more and more each time you become more consistent with what it is he's calling you to do, and you become more committed to it. It's a process over a period of time. It's not going to happen overnight. I think a lot of times we expect in terms of answering a call from God, we're kind of expecting, I think, the Hollywood effect where it's thunder and lightning and bright lights and everything. And a lot of times it's not all that. It's just a very quiet, subtle hint or hint that you hear and you know that, okay, this is the calling. And then Mm -hmm. you just say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. And then you go from there because it's not that big Hollywood production thing. It's really a very low-key type of response, at least it's been for me based on my background. My background is academics anyway, so that's what it's been like for me. And I've always kind of learned from my father that, you know, in the end, it's not about all the noise and everything. He used to always say, it's not about the sizzle, it's about the state. And that's what it really comes down to. Okay. So then the next thing that I really keyed in on that you talked about was that walk of faith. And it seems to me that that is probably the most important thing of anything because there's the willing vessel letting the message come through, but you could have let the message come through and not done anything with it. Exactly. And I'll confess that there have been – go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I'd like to hear this because I'm. I just. I'm curious how you can encourage other people to be willing to take that walk of faith. The walk of faith. Let's not fool ourselves. It's not going to be easy, and it's going to be a struggle a lot of times. And truthfully. Sometimes you're going to have to go on this walk, just you and the Lord, and other people may not understand, and there are going to be people who may not even support it, but you have to keep in mind that if this is what God's calling you to do, then be willing to answer the call and know that as you go through those valleys as such, that you're going through that valley, you're not alone because the Lord is with you. But he's going to bring you through those valleys where it seems lonely and it seems like you can't do it. And then when you reach that mountaintop, you understand why. It's never going to be easy. 
it will be a struggle. There will be times when you will question why you're doing it and should you turn around. But that's the point in that valley where you have to continue to press forward because there is something on that mountaintop that's waiting for you. Uh, the mountaintop for me in terms of both books is the fact that I did what God called me to do, and as much as anything else, by going through the valleys, all of us, and we get to a certain mountaintop, it's important that we then encourage others to let them know that the valley they're going through is just for a short season. It's not for duration, and that mm-hmm. you will get to where this God will bring you to and let people know that whatever it is they're going through, Someone else has been there, and they've been through that journey as well. And you encourage other people to let them know, hey, if I got through it, you can get through it as well. Just trust in God and know that he'll bring you through it, and he'll bring you through it for a reason and for his particular purpose. Well, you mentioned also that when you did your first book, you had no clue what you were doing, and all of the pieces that you needed just kind of came together over time uh, as you took that walk on faith. I'm interested, though, in the concrete steps that you took to get published. So if I were to say, well, Alan, what'd you do? I I, I want to write a book. I want to publish a book. What's the first thing that you did once you got this book written and you said you went on Fiverr? Who'd you look for? What kind of did you put out a bid that just said, I need somebody to do this, 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 and this, and like one person stepped up and they had all the skills, or did you have to put together a team? How did that work? With the first book, what I did in Fiverr was, after I had joined Fiverr back in January of 2017, I actually spent that first month of 2017 just kind of looking through it, kind of studying, seeing the different skills that individuals had, And then by that first Friday in February, like I mentioned before, I said, okay, I knew how to go in and kind of narrow it down in terms of what I was looking for. Because in Fiverr, there were different categories for people who write books. It could be somebody whose expertise is to promote your book through social media. It could be somebody whose expertise was to, say, edit and to format your book. And so when I went into Fiverr, Michelle, and I put out my request for my particular book, my immediate request was, hey, what I'm looking to do is to have somebody edit my manuscript, edit and formatting, getting ready for Amazon. That's the request that I sent out through Fiverr. So when that went out, the people whose expertise is in that area, they responded to that because as you are sending out requests in, say, like Fiverr, there's always somebody on the opposite end who's looking to see if they can pick up a client, if there's somebody they can work with. I mean, there's a fee for that. Don't get me wrong about that. But then they picked up my request, and then they said, okay, hey, I can help you with your editing, your formatting, If you need help with, say, a book cover, I can help you to do that as well. So that's kind of how I did the first steps. 
in terms of the first book, Here I Am, Lord. So when I got all that material back around mid-April or so, it had been accepted by Amazon by my contact in South Africa. She had done all the formatting and everything, all the editing. And then from there, just kind of selected my initial book cover. And Mm -hmm. then we submitted to Amazon. Now, the submission process was frustrating because with Amazon, it's basically self-publishing, publishing uh, publishing on demand. So in that respect, then there are very stringent guidelines that they have, at least in my experiences. And so that's really the process that I use in order to get that done. But having said that, Michelle, there are so many different ways that people can do this. I did it through Fiverr in terms of, say, using a worldwide approach. But within everybody's community, for all those who are listening, because of social media, there isn't just a Fiverr aspect of that. I mean, that's a phenomenal resource. I've used it for some music stuff as well. But there are probably groups, I know there are groups in Facebook where you can go in and you can say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help me with my book. Or you could even just go into, like, your social page on Facebook and say, hey, I'm an author. I'm trying to be an author. Can somebody direct me to someone who can help me to get this whole process started? So there are so many different ways that you can do it. I use Fiverr because that was really the best option for me. One of the things that I believe in very strongly is collaboration. I've used that as my platform in terms of my music because as a lyricist, I don't hear the music, but I can create the storyline, and then I create a storyline and look to marry it with someone who does the music. That's the power of collaboration. So in terms of anyone doing a book for the first time, you look at reaching out to individuals that you can collaborate with. You know what your strength is, and you go with what your strength is. If you know that's the writing portion, like that is for me, then that's what you focus on. But if you know editing and format, if you know that's not your thing, then that's when you reach out to a Fiverr or other contact that you can find through social media, and then you team up with those individuals, and then that's how you can get that book published. Now, it's a process, and Fiverr kept my cost down. I'm going to be honest with you. And that was the great thing because starting out, I didn't have a lot of money being retired. And also, too, the great thing about, at least for me, going to rather self-publishing was the fact that I didn't have to worry about putting my book into the hands of a major publisher and then finding out, well, they might get to it in a year from now, two years from now, and they may say, you may need to rewrite this or rewrite that. So I didn't have to go through all of that. The self-publishing route, at least for me and my experience, worked out fine. Because I can tell your audience point blank. If someone told me to go back and rewrite my manuscript, I'm going to look at them like, I'm not doing that. Because you know what? First of all, writing isn't me. It's from the Lord. If you want me to put in proper grammar and the periods here and exclamation marks there or semicolons and paragraphs, I don't know any of that stuff. All I'm doing is writing what the Lord told me to do. 
Right. I can honestly tell you, some of my stuff, grammatically, may not be the best, but you know what? It's coming from my heart for what the Lord told me to do. But that's what you get a team for. That's what you get your folks to help you with. Exactly. That's what you do. I know yeah. my strength is not editing, is yeah. not formatting, and I know for sure I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to social media. I have a young lady who's been working with my I'm, I'm a dinosaur. My middle name might as well be Jurassic when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm so blessed that this young lady here locally works with me and kind of says, well, do this and do that. And she'll mention something about something on Facebook or I think it's called, not Twitter, the other one, not Snapchat. I can't even remember what the other one is I'm in now. Oh, anyway, but mm-hmm. she said, do this and do that. And I'm looking at Michelle and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, just follow my lead, and I'll get you there. Because I'm from the old school, and I've always had this fear that, okay, if I hit the wrong button on my keyboard, I might start a nuclear war. So I'm still I'm still wrestling with that. So <laughs> forgive me. Just old age just makes you do that. So I know my strength is not social media. So I have someone here locally who works with me to do A, do B, and you'll be okay. And I'm learning. I'm learning a little bit how to do the Facebook. I'm learning a little about Instagram. I'm still trying to figure out what this means. Now, the other stuff like the Twitter and the, I think it's called Snapchat, I believe. I'm out of my league of that kind of stuff. There are a ton of them. There are a ton of them. It depends on who you're marketing to. (laughs) Exactly. And that's not my thing. That's my agent's responsibility. I'll just follow her lead. But also, too, as you're putting together your team, you recognize what your strength is, but you also have to be willing to acknowledge what your weakness is. I know my weakness is social media. So I'm not going to get my ego puffed up and think I know what I'm doing when I don't because all I'm going to do is mess it up and make a fool of myself. So why not just say, hey, this is your ball game. Tell me what I need to do. I'm going to follow your lead. Again, that's all part of that being a willing vessel, which means being obedient and being teachable. That's right. important. Well, if someone wanted to write perhaps inspirational or Christian-based uh, books or essays, what are three things that you would recommend to them in terms of how they can proceed, how they can get started? I think as far as the writing portion of it, one of the things I have been kind of talking with some friends about here is don't necessarily look at the huge picture like you've got to have a three or 400-page book. Just start one day, one day, one day. And a lot of my essays and my books are being drawn from everyday practical things. It's not theological. It's not doctrinal. I don't get into all of that. It's not preachy because I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a bishop. I'm an everyday guy, an ordinary Joe. And so I think a lot of in terms of your essay that you write come from your living experiences, things that you see that you've observed, how has the Lord directed you, how has he helped you, how has he helped you to encourage others. 
And so a lot of it comes down to you writing from your experiences, your observations. That's what I can say all of my essays have been about in terms of my life up to this point of 64 years old, soon to be 65. And so that's how you do it. Another thing, too, is in terms of what you write with. For me, it's my desktop. I'm a desktop kind of guy. I'm not that guy that gets a tablet or writes on my phone. I, I can't do that. It just doesn't work for me. But in this day and age of technology, I mean, with our phones, you can just be speaking into your phone, what your content is each and every day, and you just kind of go from there. And, and your book does not have to be four or 500 pages long. All three of my books are less than 150 pages because I, I come to recognize, Michelle, that it's not about the quantity in terms of the length of the book. It's about the quality of what you're expressing and you're trying to convey to your listeners. That's what matters. If it speaks to their hearts, it makes them pause, think, and reflect, and be encouraged and be inspired, then you have done what you've been called to do. And that's how I've done it. That's what I would tell your listeners. Do it a little bit at a time. You can let some people read it. Don't let them talk you out of what it is you're being called to do in terms of what's on mm -hmm. your heart to write. Nobody can express what's on your heart better than you. Nobody else can do that. That's really important. Thank you so much for, for mentioning that last piece in particular. So, Alan, where can people connect with you? Where can they get your book? How can they stay in touch? They can go to my website, which is Alan T. Black, that's A-L-A-N, the letter T like in Theodore, Black, B-L-A-C-K, AlanTBlack.com. I'm also on Amazon under Alan T. Black, both books. The first book is Here I Am, Lord, which came out in the summer of 2017. The second book is called In the Spirit Intended, and that came out in the summer of 2019. And actually, in the month of July, that one actually made the bestseller list on Amazon for Christian Inspiration. I'm very, very proud of that. I'm still disbelieving. That, that was an amazing honor to know that it made that list. And, you know, for me, Michelle, also one other thing I want to share with your listeners, don't take what other people's definition of success is mm -hmm. because it's easy for people to say, well, you didn't sell 10,000 copies or 1.5 million copies, so it really was successful. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you make it to the point where you get published, that's a success story. And if what you write inspires and speaks to others, then you have been successful. You have done what God's called you to do. Because if you are being a blessing to others, that's where your success is. Now, yes, we'd all like to sell 10 million copies. We all know that. But that's not what really what success is defined by. I would, I've been told by people that my book has spoken to them, have been encouraged, and they feel inspired. And that's good enough for me. Now, yes, I still want 10 million copies sold, but if that doesn't happen, just the fact that they bought the book and they feel encouraged and inspired, that means it's been successful to me and I give that success to God because I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for him pushing me and me being willing to say, okay, I'm going to try this, Lord, and see what happens. In fact, that's why the title of my first book is called Here I Am, Lord. Because I finally just said after essay number three, I said, okay, Lord, here I am. Let's do this, and let's see what happens. That's how the first title came up. 
Well, and that's really important for people to know that, you know, I, I, tell, I, I tell people all the time, your story does matter. Uh, it's, if writing a book was easy, everybody would do it. And if you feel you. that it is something that you have been called to do, then that means it is on your list of things to do this lifetime. And you should just suck it up and do it. <laughs> you know? I agree. Suck it up and do it. You never know whose life you're going to touch by it. You never know. And here's the thing to keep in mind, too. It isn't just the people that you see. Your book could touch somebody on the other side of the world. It might just be one sentence in your book Mm -hmm. that could change the direction of their life and not just change the direction of their life. It could have a generational impact on their family for years and years to come. So that's the power of what words mean. When the Bible talks about it can speak life and death, that's true because what we say has power. And if in your book, you encourage one person, you just never know who that person is going to then turn around and encourage as well. So if that's your calling, answer it because I can tell you point blank, if you don't, it's going to hang over you like a shadow and it will never leave you because it will stay around and just continually kind of bug you, like poke you in the side and say, you know you're supposed to be writing a book. You're supposed to be writing a book. How come you haven't written a book? And then somewhere out of the blue will say, well, when are you going to write your book like they did me? And then that's confirmation that, well, you know, maybe I need to do this thing because now other people are telling me the same thing. And I'm experiencing that now because I've written two books, and one of my coworkers at my part-time job yesterday said, well, I like the first two books, but when are you going to do the third book so I can have a trilogy? And I'm looking at her like, you go. Are you, I'm like, seriously? She said, yeah. She said, so you need to snap to and get on this third book. I thought, well, I guess so. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, and when that third book is ready, you'll have to come back on the show and talk with us about it because that is, I think that's important, you know, that when people are asking you for it, it's because it's needed and you've got to give it to them. So I, I have to, to because she told me she said she'll nag me until I get it done. I thought, you know, she's probably right. So I got to – that's just another confirmation, another sign. So I got to do what I got to do. There you go. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. You guys reach out to Alan at his website, alantblack.com. That's A-L-A-N-T-Black.com. And you can also find him and his books – on Amazon. So search for author Alan T. Black. And the first book is Here I Am, Lord. And Alan, tell us the name of the second book again. The second book is called In the Spirit Intended. In the Spirit Intended. You guys look Alan up, buy his books. Alan, thank you again for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been an honor, and I look forward to us getting together when I do my third book. Definitely. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you guys tune into the show on May 22nd when my guest will be Samuel Woods, author of Imprisonment. 
You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.